Well, praise God. Listen, God is faithful in all things. Do not doubt the faithfulness of God for a minute. We're commanded not to doubt the faithfulness of God. Abraham, our spiritual father, said, listen, he didn't stagger at the promises of God, but in faith he knew God would fulfill every word spoken to him, and we do the same thing. Amen? That's the way we live, we think, we talk. That's the way we do everything in our life. All right. Well, we are in a series, The Blessed Life. The Blessed Life. We're talking about giving. Uh, We're talking about the nature of God and all these things. But I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, okay, where is the first place in the Bible? Because we should always go to the first, right? You want to know about creation in this world? Go to Genesis 1. You want to know about the first, the first about something? Go to the first time the word love or offering or worship or something like that is used. So the first time we ever see offering used in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 4. There's only a few people on the planet. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to read 2 through 5. We're going to learn some things from the Word of God. Look, we, I love when we do everything that we get to do in a church. We get to have fellowship. Are you here early hanging out, drinking coffee? I think the coffee pots are empty. That's a good, that's wonderful fellowship. That's a part of our vision, grow in community. First, first Thessalonians 2, 8. Then we come in here and we worship. We don't put our hands in our pockets. We proclaim we're saved. We proclaim the worthiness of Jesus. We worship. Then say, hey, let's find ourselves today in James 5 and do what they do it, doing in James 5. Now we're going to honor the word here in Genesis and several other scriptures. So Genesis chapter 4, here we go. The first time we see the word offering used ever in the Bible, Genesis 4, let's read Two to five. Then she, that's Eve, of course, bore again, this time his brother Abel. So we got Cain the older, then we got Abel. Now Abel was a keep excuse me, now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, literally your King James may say, at the end of days, the picture is when he got around to it. When he got around to it, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now, we know fruit and stuff like that was offered in the Bible, and it was accepted by God, grain offerings and all these things. Verse 4, Abel also brought of the what? The firstborn. The firstborn of his flock and of their fat. The fat was the most prized, actually, because you could make oil and very expensive things of it. It was very prized. And of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. We have two brothers. We know this is also preceding the first murder in the Bible. Cain, the tiller of the ground. Abel, his brother, keeper of sheep. What's the principle here? Where we have someone in the process of time where God rejects an offering and Abel's God's accepts because it's the first fruit. There's a huge overarching principle throughout the whole Bible. Why in the world would God accept Abel's and not Cain's. It's not that God would not accept Cain's. 
That's not the right word. It is that God could not accept Cain's. Why couldn't God accept Cain's? There's a reason. God only, only accepts first. He only functions in first. If he did not, he would cease to be God. He would not be the sovereign God of the universe, worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. Is that what your Bible says? He must be first in all things. Number one on your notes. First is the only language God speaks. He cannot accept anything in second. It's an affront to his nature and who he is. This is a theme throughout all the Bible. Remember the children of Israel? They're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're at the Jordan River. Before Moses has just died, Joshua has taken over. They're looking at the Jordan, beyond the Jordan, and there's a huge walled city like the world has never seen. The world has never seen a wall so thick that they did chariot races on the top of them. That's what Jericho was. They raced chariots on the top of those walls. They were so thick. And before them is Jericho. And the Lord, before the walls fell down, makes a very specific commandment to the people of Israel. A very specific one. And we find that in Joshua 6, 18. Joshua 6, 18. Look at this. And you by all means abstain from the accursed things. Don't touch anything in Jericho. Least you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make it and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron, even the iron, are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Why could nothing in this huge city be touched? Because that was the tithe for the whole promised land. Was Jericho the first city? Yes. Don't touch anything in Jericho. Everything in Jericho is mine. Because you're going to tithe that. That is mine. You give it to me. It's the first fruits. It's the first thing. And then the promised land is blessed because of that. Now, if you remember the story, who took something from Jericho? It did not go well with them or their family. If you keep reading. So if we look back at Genesis 4, when we see Cain and Abel, there's a word there in the New Testament. It talks about um, the first. It's like Barak or Barako. It's, it's Hebrew. So I wanted to know, okay, I'm looking through, when is the next time we see that word in the Bible? So this is the first time we see the first used. When's the next time we see that, that used? And it's actually in Genesis 25, and I learned something new from the Word of God this week, and our goal is for you to also. Genesis 25, 29. I want you to look at this. So the next time we see this word used is right here. And you, when we get to it, you'll know it. Genesis 25, 29, it says this. And Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau, his brother, a twin, came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with the same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name is called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. Your birthright is the same word as first in Genesis 4. I didn't know that. 
And it's only used a few times in the Bible, and it's the same word. Jacob comes in a big hunter on an unsuccessful hunt, so he's grumpy already. You know how that goes. An empty boat with no fishing after fishing is not a good place to be. You don't want to be there. Trust me, I know. All right, I know. Listen to me. He comes in frustrated from an unsuccessful hunt. He exaggerates, as we all do physically often, I'm going to die here. I'm going to die. Please give me this stew. Jacob being the opportunist. Verse 31, But he said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I'm about to die. So what is this spiritual blessing from the Father worth to me? What do do I care that I give God first and he blesses what I have? Some spiritual blessing, I can't touch it, I can't see it. What does it matter to me and how is it going to help me right now? Because I'm just hungry and I live on the physical things. There is the shift in all history. I wonder if we could have been saying Abraham, Isaac, and Esau instead of saying Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But we don't say Esau, we say Jacob. Because Esau steps forward and says, first, why do I need the blessing of the father on the first? Why do I need that? What is that going to do for me in this life? Then Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore to him and sold his birthright, the first fruits, the first to him. I never realized that connection there between giving and having the Father bless everything else that you have. Now, this is strong language, but it gets stronger. Malachi chapter 1. Now, everyone thinks about Malachi, and we read it and we studied it a few weeks ago. You think about Malachi chapter 3 about bringing the tithe into the storehouse, about um, him rebuking the devourer. God says, hey, have you robbed from me? But remember, we need to look at Malachi as a whole book. Chapter 1 about returning to God in our faith. Chapter 2 about returning to God in our family. Chapter 3 of Malachi about returning God to our finances. Chapter 4 of Malachi about God returning to us. So that's the context of Malachi. How does Malachi start out? What does Malachi start out with? Malachi uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say to me, in what way have you loved us? Oh, wait a minute. What in the world are we talking about Jacob and Esau for in the last book of the Bible? And that's way back in Genesis. Why is that there? Now, look at this. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? This is about as strong as language. This is even theologically difficult. But we need to read it and submit to it and say amen to it, says the Lord. Yet Jacob I have loved. Why did God love Jacob? Because Jacob said, I must have the blessing of the Father. I must have this spiritual blessing. The earthly blessing is pales in comparison. I must have the birthright. I must have the first, the blessing from the Father. Look at the next verse. What does it say? But Esau, I have hated. But Esau, who cared not about the spiritual blessings of God on my life, who didn't care about that, I have hated. And laid waste 
That's the same language as rebuked the devourer in Malachi 3 and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. See, everything we do, we do in faith and trust in the Lord. Jacob had it, Esau did not. Romans 9, Paul quotes this scripture in Romans 9. Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. So God only speaks one language, the language of the first. We need to remember this is not about money and finances only. This is about everything. This is about everything. Does God speak the language number two with our time? Does he speak it with any area of our life? The surrendered life. Christians, you'll be miserable in life. It is a miserable Christian life to be a Christian and not be surrendered. It's miserable. It's miserable. It is joy and freedom. And you'll actually understand what this Christian thing's about when you surrender and say, you're first in everything. You have first in everything. Then you'll experience the joy of the Lord. Then you'll experience the Christian life. And that's the picture here. First is the only language God speaks. Now, you can always tell when people have priorities out of order, don't you? You can always see it. It's very evident. Let me show you some pictures here. You can tell. Now, look. I'm going to tell you, right, look close what that guy's sleeping next to. I, this is people in Colorado, about half of them. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, that dude's going to be single real soon. <laughs> He's going to be single real soon. <laughs> Let me show you one more. Now, now look at this. You've got to look at it now. Some men have them. Other men don't. Now, you see that nice trailer there? That is a nice trailer. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's nice. looks kind of like a glorified camp. Look what's sitting in the driveway there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's worth three times what that trailer is. Yet another picture of a man, if he's married or is in a relationship, is about to be single. <laughs> Why? Because he is proclaiming to the world what his priorities are. And that lady knows exactly what they are. I proclaim to my wife every day what my priorities are. We proclaim to our Savior every day what our priorities are. That poor guy, in 10, 20 years, that car will be worth nothing. The trailer would then be worth more than that. (laughs) One more. Priorities. This is for the ladies. When I saw this, I like, this is something my wife may do. Save your children from being eaten by a camel. But first, get the picture. Get the picture. I mean, a thousand likes on Facebook right there. (laughs) Somebody's priorities have gotten off. Isn't it funny when we see something, unless it's totally catastrophic, the first thought is grab the phone. I've done that before. The first thought is grab the phone. So we need to make sure our priorities are always in the correct order. God is a God of order. And when we line up on his order, we're going to be blessed. Amen? Amen. That's right. Amen. Well, every week in this series, we have testimony from different people of our church, different members. So this week, Brian Jackson is going to come and give us a testimony about the things God has shown him about having your finances in the right priority. Let me grab this mic. Come up here, sir. You talk about a gentle giant, a friendly man. I would hate to be tackled by him, but boy, I like a hug. (laughs) Good morning. I'm a shy person. Just a little background. Uh, My name is Brian Jackson. My wife is Sharon, and I do apologize that uh, she's not with us today. Uh, 
here at the service. She's with us in, in life. But anyway, uh, my wife and I, we met back in 1980. I was eight years old. She was five. We went to church together. We didn't start dating at that time, but uh, that's where we met in church. We grew up together, uh, ended up getting married. Um, when we got married, we decided, hey, we're free. We don't need church. We don't need God. We don't need anybody telling us what to do. So we, uh, we stopped going to church. We stopped uh, visiting and fellowshipping with Christians. And uh, we were young, dumb, and foolish. And uh, our life was not blessed. So then about a year later or so, year and a half, Sharon got pregnant. We were having our first child. So then we started scratching our heads and thinking, what are we doing? What are we doing in life? You know, we, we're bringing a child into this world. We don't want to be young, dumb, and foolish, and, and we want to do what's right. So we started going back to church, um, and then going back to church, like I said, we were raised in church, saved at a young age. So we knew the principle of tithing. My parents, her parents, they, uh, they taught us, you know, give 10% to God. That's the first thing you do, and that's just what pastor's talking about. Um, you know, when you get that paycheck, that 10% goes to God. I mean, that's his, it, automatically, uh, with no questions. And so we started tithing, and then uh, not long after going back to church, I was, uh, I was laid off at my job that I, that I had. And uh, it was the only job in my life that I ever hated working at. But nevertheless, I was laid off, and... So here we are, Sharon's pregnant, no income. Well, Sharon worked, but, you know, we lost a big portion of our income at that time. So I'm thinking, man, why has God done this to me? I'm paying tithes. I'm going back to church, and I'm uh, trying to live a, a better life, uh, loving Jesus. And, and uh, I just felt like something was wrong. But you know what? The very next day, I got a better job making more money. So that doubt that was in my mind at the moment was just a bad seed that Satan was trying to plant in my, my mind. And uh, you don't always know what God has in store for you, but that's when I learned that <clears throat> I need to trust Jesus in everything that I do. And, and he can work miracles and move mountains. And you think of moving mountains, moving a big mountain but it's moving obstacles that are in your life that you think are impossible. So we give our 10% and, uh, and, and with a willing heart because it is God's. And, and we don't give to the four walls here at this church or, or to a particular man. We give that money to Jesus. And, and, and Pastor Stephen is our leader. And you have to put faith and trust that your money is going to be done for the will of God. And that's how we live our life. And we've been married 27 years, going on 28 years, and it has been a blessed life. So that's all I got to say about that. I hope that kind of inspires some I of you. I say amen. That's good stuff. Well, Brian, Brian is, is honest and direct. I love it. Man, you introed perfect to my next point. Perfect. That We didn't even plan that. Exodus 13. So God is making plans for his people to live in the promised land. 
God has plans for you to live the blessed life, right? He's making these plans. Exodus 13, we're going to read 1 and 2 and then jump down to verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whoever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man and beast, all the animals. It is mine. Jump down to verse 11. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the promised son, he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The males shall be the Lord's, but every firstborn of a donkey are an unclean. Anything that's considered unclean, you shall redeem with something clean, a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. Whoa. And all the firstborn of men among your sons you shall redeem. So with animals, you're going to redeem that animal or you're going you're to get rid of it. With all your sons, obviously every human life is precious, you redeem all your sons. So when that child is born, you're going to take a lamb and you're going to bring it to the house of the Lord and redeem that son. Why is God doing that? This is the picture clear for God's people of salvation. Redeem means to what? To buy back. Redeem means to buy back. So we need to understand the picture of salvation that this is. It is an eternal picture, not an Exodus 13 old covenant law picture. When we read it, we think, well, that's old covenant, you know, law, we're under grace. Hold on. This is even far beyond that. It's eternal. Let me show you here. The picture of redemption. So number two on your notes. The first must be sacrificed or redeemed. Redeem means to buy back. In light of what we just read, let me ask you a question. Were we born clean or unclean? Unclean. Who is the only one, the one born clean? Jesus. Who bought us back? Come on. You see, when I read this, I see Jesus. He is the clean who redeemed me, the unclean. Everything has to be redeemed. And redeemed by what? Blood. It's the picture of my own salvation. Everything must be bought back. This is the picture of the tithe. You redeem the 90% by giving the Lord the 10. It's his already. That's all throughout Scripture. But I want to show you this eternal principle of redemption because this is the gospel. We all need to understand this in the Bible. So let's look at the, um, one of the oldest texts in all the Bible, Job, the book of Job. So Job is the complete book of Job. We find it somewhere between Genesis like you know, 5 and probably right before the flood. So Job 19.25 says this, For I know that my re- what? Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at the last on the earth. Oh, this guy has got pictures of Jesus in, you know, we always think of the misery of Job. We always think about it. But I'm going to tell you, the man with no hair and boils on him, sitting in on ash and misery, also had revelation. And you do not need to think that the grace of God, he was lost in his misery, and all at the very end, God saved him. In his misery, that's revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Come on now. What's that worth? When the Spirit of God speaks to you and says, I know my Redeemer lives, I'm going to see him. And after my skin is destroyed, this I, what? Know that in my flesh I shall see God. I know my Redeemer's coming, and I will wait for him. Now listen to why Job's faith was so great. He waited longer than Abraham, and Abraham waited for hundreds of years. He waited longer than David, and David for hundreds, longer than Isaiah. Come on. He waited about as long as ever anyone could wait, trusting in the Lord. He said, oh, I'm going to see him one day. This flesh right here is going to be reborn. So this is one of the oldest. Now let's go to the end of time. Well, let's go to our future, and let's look at it. Revelation 5, 8, and 9, our very future. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Do not think that your prayers are any less than preciousness in the sight of God. Do not ever think that any of your prayer is nothing less than incense in heaven. Anything less than that is making it less than what God made it. Amen. And they sang a new song. We, this is us in the future. Worthy, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have what? You redeemed us. You bought us back. Have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The eternal picture of redemption needs to be something that we think of all the time. Amen? All the time. All the time. Isaiah, I mean, um, Proverbs talks about this, about honoring the Lord with the first fruits. Psalms 107 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The redeemed of the Lord say they're redeemed and talk about their redemption. So we understand that Jesus only speaks one language, that's first. We understand that the first must be sacrificed or redeemed and then go back to Exodus 13 where we were. So everything must be redeemed. The tithe is redemption. Exodus 13, 14 through 16. So it shall be. This is the most important thing about redemption and your day-to-day life and the way you spend your time, talents, and resources. This is the most important thing about the way you spend your time, talent, and resources. So it shall be when your son asked you in time to come. Let me ask you a question. If you had all the money, all this talent in the world, But your children, if you that have children, if they were estranged from God and cared nothing about him, would you consider your life successful? It would be the heartbreak every day. And you keep praying if they're not. But understand the importance of this. When your son comes to you, your most precious, dear thing, your child, your son asked you in time to come saying, what is this? 
Why do we tithe? Why do we go to church? Why are we doing this? That you shall say to him, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. When every time you take that lamb that the kids grew up with, you know how they name things all the time. They bring a frog in the house, it's got a name. And they love that little lammy. But you say, son, it's time to go to the temple. And you take that lamb in your arms and you walk with that boy to the temple. And you hand that lamb over to that priest. And the little boy says, dad, what are you doing? That's lammy. And he says, son, I want to tell you, we used to be slaves. But see, son, we're not slaves anymore. And I want you to know the price that was paid for your freedom. And he hands that little perfect lamb over to that priest. And the son, although he doesn't understand everything, knows something's wrong. And the priest takes that precious lamb and blood splatters all over the ground. I'm going to tell you, that'll horrify that son, won't it? That's a shocking picture. But that child will never, that little Israeli boy will never forget the price paid for him. That's redemption. That's what it means, the picture of our lives. In salvation above all, in salvation by grace through faith, not by works, but our works proclaim that salvation. Amen? We are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, not by any works. Our works proclaim our salvation, and I don't want to be silent. I want to be able to speak to my children. I want to speak to my kids and say, kids, Let me tell you why we do what we do. Number three on your notes. The tithe reminds us of God's saving grace. If I can do anything in my life to preach the gospel... That's what I want to do, right? I want to do anything and everything, especially in my own house. And that is why we do what we do. All right, man, I ran through that super quick. Look at that. I only got one more scripture. Stand up, guys. I was worried about going over. We're going to run the full gamut of church style. We have done Holy Spirit, prayer, anointing with oil, jump around music, high energy, all that, honored the word of God, and we're going to go all in. We're going to end it with a highly liturgical ending. That means liturgy. That means that I'm actually going to read a portion of Scripture, and every time I pause at the end of the verse, you're going to say Amen. It's a, if you grew up in a liturgical church, either Lutheran or Methodist maybe, uh, Presbyterian, you would have done this. If not, this may be new for you. So what's going to happen is I'm going to read from 1 Colossians, which is to me the quintessential scripture about first, about the nature of our God and our relationship to Him. So I do want it to be highly reflective for you and and. Put on your thinking caps. We love God with all our mind, right? Right? We love Him with all our mind. So think deeply 
about this deep well of Scripture as I'm going to read it. And then when I, I'm going to read 1 Colossians 1, 16, 17, and 18. And at the end of each verse, you're going to say amen. If you get off on amen, it's okay. I have been off a thousand times on amen and 10,000 times on singing. If the, if the band messes up, it's usually actually because I accidentally messed them up. I was singing too loud and I got them off a verse or something. All right. So this is the way we're going to end our service and then this service is over. This should be on your screen there also. Amen. Before I jump into this, don't want to think that everyone knows what that means. It means let it be so. It means I agree with that 100%. It means I put my big stamp of approval on that thing. And if I was a notary, kaboom, let it be so. I don't know where that came from. I wouldn't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I say I'm too late watching something. All right. Are you ready? Here we go. <laughs> Verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you for your word. You are first in all things. You have preeminence in all things. We treat you like first in everything we say and do. In the name above every name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Yeah, give him praise.